be uh, our, our guests. Patreon, be our, our guests. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh wait. Welcome back. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome back. How's your Friday? How's your Friday going? How's your freaky Friday? Oh my god, you know what we didn't do last episode? Oh, we didn't introduce that we're listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner. I'm Carrie Ibama. And we're not very good at what we do. We're not. You but know, we, we don't, don't claim. get paid to do it, so we don't even care. Exactly right. We don't right. even care. We don't exactly even right. wear any underwear. <gasps> you don't either? No, I'm just kidding. I did. Don't want to, you know. You know what I didn't tell you about last week? What? That while you were gone in your... While I was sleeping? Odyssey, I performed again. Go I went on. to Dallas and I did two shows. Oh my god, shows. I forgot. You did Sex in the City? I did my show One How'd Woman Sex in the City. How did it go? Were you resting? Um, I think it went really well. It was wild. I I think I was... I'm fine talking about it. I. It's been a year and <laughs> a, a half. What a weird thing to say. Well, because there's something I want to say where it's like... Because I truly... I, it's been a year and a half since I performed live in front of people and it's a comedy show. Uh-huh. And live theater is really special, but after, after a year and a half of your profession shutting down there's a part of you that's like do I still like this do you know what I mean yes where you're like am I good at it do I still like it and I was so is it worth it should I work work it exactly and I and I went to Dallas and well specifically Fort Worth I apologize and a place it was called downtown cowtown which is essentially like an old western downtown Fort Worth. It's not downtown Fort Worth proper, but it's like this like really fun, kitschy cowboy kind of vibe. Um, and what a weird world. The theater was lovely. It was amazing. It was really fun. The f- so I did two shows, and I was so grateful because sometimes I do a one night stand. But I did two shows, and it was so wonderful to perform the first night, and it went really well. It was successful. I felt proud of it. But the next night, it felt even better. Like, it was more in my pocket. Like, it just, you Mm -hmm. know, it hit harder a little bit, for me at least. Um, So I was super grateful for that. But my favorite moment that I wanted to share with you was I was in a saloon next to the theater. So a friend from work came to the show who lives in Dallas and we went out for a beer after, which was awesome. And we were in this like saloon. Like it was a truly like, I love what I'm picturing. It was was, like dingy, grindy saloon vibes. And it was the three amigos when they sang. Yes. 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 Great. And I was having a shiner block and, um, this guy, you know, masks were optional. I had mine on, you know, but it was a, it's Texas baby. And, um, there's a jukebox next to us and someone was playing music. And I guess he had extra credits and he had told some people I was with, he can, he was like, Oh, you can play whatever you want. And so I was like, I want to play something. So I went over and I was like, can I play Celine Dion? And he looked at me and he was like, no. And so I said, okay, So he left, and then I went over with my own money, because I am an independent woman, and I put on It's All Coming Back to Me by Celine Dion in a Texas saloon. I'm really glad you did what you wanted. And I sang so loud, 
and I made eye contact with him and I pointed at him and his friends, he was miserable and his friends were laughing so hard and the women that was with him were laughing so hard because you could tell this is a guy that didn't fucking get pushed around and I played Celine Dion, which is truly like my heart song. My heart will go on my heart song. And and um, women afterwards came up to me and were like, thank you so much. You inspired me. I want to play my own music. And I was like, yeah. Don't be afraid when you're in a Texas bar. When you're in a saloon. Like, and because it's such a masculine energy. And then some other people put on no scrubs. We were all dancing. All the women like went on the floor and started dancing. And so... I like went up to the table and I was like, so nice to meet you. Like keep singing. Don't, you know, don't let anyone push around. And the guys were like, who like the cool dudes were like, that was awesome. Like it felt like a, like a little bit of a movie moment. I'm telling honestly. you, it's my little buttercup has the sweetest <laughs> yeah. smile. Dear little buttercup. That's all I'm picturing. It I truly mean, was that. And I like, I made eye contact with the guy who didn't let me play Celine Dion. Yeah. It was his money. He's entitled to do what he wants. But you know what? So am I. Which also brings me to my next piece of news that I wanted to share with you. Cheese whiz. Yeah, it's related. There was something that was revealed to me this two months that you've been gone that I've been sitting on, waiting patiently to tell you on the podcast. Do it up, sis. There is a film coming out called Aileen that premiered at Cannes Film Festival. Uh-huh. It is the unauthorized biopic of one Celine Dion, and it's called Aileen Dieu. Think of 30 Rock, Janis Joplin, Janet Jipjorp. Uh-huh. It is that. However, <gasps> it is written, directed, and starring one woman. She plays Celine from age 5 to 40 using CGI. <gasps> smile on my face because I'm obsessed. I'm so fucking obsessed with this idea. I can't wait to watch this film. This is has my oh, name. God. Vanity Far Fair Far. Vanity Fair did an article Fall. on it. New York Times did an article on it. Cause they're like, no biopic has ever been done this way before. Like I it is can't wait. One woman. I mean it's of course and so Guy is Renee Charles like Guy Claude is Renee Charles. It's like Truly, they just, like, changed a lot of shit and made it into an unauthorized biopic of Celine Dion. And I... Celine has... And I... Listen, I feel conflicted. I know Celine Celine's stand. like, what are you doing? Because Celine didn't give them permission. And don't fucking fuck with Celine, frankly. Can't fuck with Celine. Although she doesn't have time for bothering with people that do fuck with her. She just wants to be happy and I everything. mean, I will watch this. I have a feeling it, will, it already has a cult following, even for... It premiered at Cannes, which I feel like... Odd. Isn't that, like, a really fucking reputable film festival to get into? It depends. Was it Cannes or Cannes? Because <laughs> Cannes is another film festival not good. It was C-A-N-N-E-S. I'm kidding. There's no Cannes. Oh, it was at Cannes Film it Festival. It was at Cannes Film Festival. More of the story is, dear readers, who else is excited? Let's fucking go. So I liked to bring my Celine to Texas and sort of spread mm-hmm. the love from there. So I performed again and Celine, Aileen, I can't fucking wait. Those are two updates that I wanted to tell you. Thank you for the updates. You know what I forgot to tell you? What? I forgot to tell you that when we were in Hawaii, 
we met some cute little kids on the beach and we're playing and I was trying to get Ko to become friends with them and he was like no mama I want to go on a walk with you and did you get lost again we walked along <laughs> no worse we walked along this seawall that is like the outskirts <gasps> of my parents and no, the no, other no. house's property and we're walking along the seawall and it's always just you might see people that are renting the homes like in the home uh-huh. or in front of the home but that's uh-huh. all you'll ever see is did Koa fall in I know he's alive but I'm like afraid he fell off the seawall or something we're walking along the seawall and I suddenly and Koa's like oblivious and happy and talking to me and we turn a corner and there's kind of a bush and as I turn Koa's in front of me I turn to see there is a man right by the seawall naked and masturbating <gasps> Right next to Koa. In Hawaii? In Hawaii. Like, lying on the ground right near us, like, could reach out and touch Koa. Koa's not noticed him. No. Which could be even more terrifying. And I grab Koa and start running. And Koa's like, Mama, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, um, oh there's a person back there that I think might be sick. Um, and it might be on drugs or something and oh god we need to go and he was and i was like so panicked oh quinn i hate this i hate it then i like went to the guard shack and let them know and then they walked the wall and he was gone but i had to have a really weird conversation with Coke because i acted so crazy and he was so scared because i just like picked him up and started running he got really afraid I said that he was on drugs because the guy was kind of like acting like he must I mean, be. He was masturbating in public. Um, and like lying down kind of in a bush. Like it's a, didn't look like a very comfortable place to masturbate. Right. Um, and I, I just couldn't puzzle it together with my brain. Like my brain short fused where I was like, what am I seeing? What's happening? Cause I'm in this like gated community that's like idyllic on a beach and yeah. you see, like, families. You see, like, I don't know. It well, it's was like, weirdly, really... I feel like I would expect that in New York. And like an alley. Like, or even... Because yeah. the thing is, in New York, you're like, oh, you run into stuff like that all the time. There's something about, like... And your guard is up. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. We're like... Your guard is up in New York. You have, like, expectations. Like, you understand, like, you share the space with a lot of people in Hawaii where you, like, have this sense of security and safety. Not just that. I'm wearing a swimsuit, which I don't know why that makes it worse. No, it does make it it worse. I I think it's pretty clear, actually, why it makes it feel worse. Because you are wearing less clothes. I just was running. I mean... And then I had said that he was on drugs but didn't know that. And then Matt was kind of taking issue with that and being like... I don't know why you told him someone's on drugs. That's a really confusing thing to explain. Like, which is true, because then I was trying to be like... Yeah, but, like, at that point, you were just, like, you oh, didn't know how I what did to not say. know what to say. I did not know what to say. And, and I, I definitely like said, didn't want to go in the path of anything... That would, like, be like, he's touching himself, which is wrong, because you don't totally. want that. Like, you don't want to give him a compliment. Yeah, there's, like... And it feels like drugs is a fair scapegoat. God, I just did not know what to say. But that was um, a very stressful afternoon. Well, I'm sure, like, there was, like, a lot of conversations between you and Matt of, like, how to deal with that. I mean, speaking of drugs, I did get a bunch of edibles in L.A., and that was really fun. I got my wonderful little weed mints that are two and a half milligrams that are the best. Oh, fun. Really excited about those. I bought, like, two. I have to give some to Matt. You know, when I, uh, the last time I took edibles... 
Yeah. I had that panic attack, so now I just don't. Well, I think you took way too much, and this is like I found out I took what you break into force. Yeah, we we talked about this in Maine, where right. like you're like I took ten milligrams, and I was like I can't touch five milligrams. These are little mints, are two and a half milligrams, and they are truly like the perfect little like stoned moment, and then like it's not overwhelming, it's not out of control, and right. like you can monitor it where you're like oh I'm not gonna get the spins and hallucinate and die. Not that weed kills you, but, like, you feel really, really but bad. But reefer madness can kill you. Reefer we all madness. know that. I was in that play. Speaking of reefer madness, let's talk about our new Patreon subscribers. <gasps> yes! Um, we did a little teaser last week. We let did. you guys know we that did. we're manipulating your brains into believing we have popularity. But these are all real. I just heard, like, that vent. I just heard voices. Oh, it's not outside. outside. Um, the first Patreon subscriber is Sherry. Sherry, Sherry we carry, we carry you about for, you forever and ever. Thank you for joining Patreon. What about Katie L? Can you give her a oh song? Oh my God, Katie L totally has a target on her back. Katie L. And listen. that's and that's not personal. I'm just saying she walked in with it. No, she really did. Like, her outfit had a target painted <laughs> on the back. It was cool, I thought, actually. Katie L. Come on. Come on. Save Katie. Take another little piece of the Patreon, baby. Take another little piece of your last name. It's an L. <laughs> Corey. 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 Turn on the magic the of Corey. Kelly. Oh, we'll just yelled for Kelly. Cole yelled for Kelly. Kelly? Kelly? I'm your felly. <gasps> you Kelly, and me, you're my totally jelly. Get in the belly. We're jelly for Kelly. Moving right along. Should we tell stories? <laughs> sure. I, I mean, mean, I'm ready. I'm just like one thing on top of another. Don't forget, if you want to review us, do it on Apple. If you want to give us money, do it through Patreon. If you want to buy merch, click the merch button or the for your bod button mm-hmm. on our website. And if you want to keep listening and just like feel it out, do that. I we I this story that I'm going to tell actually It's rough. It's rough. It's a, it's rough. Yes, but it actually has some actionable stuff for you to do today. So if Great. you decide Good. to not listen to the rest of this podcast, do me a favor and just go to justiceforjuliusjones.com because I'm doing the story of Julius Jones. Do um, it. Prove so it. I got this information. So, oh, I do actually have a story. So I remember I talked because I was better than everybody else about not doing social media. Well, I got hooked again and I was a problem. It went through. It was the last two months have gotten worse. So what happened was, is I was like, oh, I took all social media off my phone. Not because I'm better, but because I actually can't handle it myself. And I, I put it on my iPad that has to be connected to internet. So I can only use social media from the privacy of my own home and not in my bed. And like it put a limit on my exposure to it. Really smart. And so what I did was I didn't realize when I got a new phone that there's hidden apps where it's like not the apps in the main page. There's like app library that you can like look in. And I noticed Instagram was in there. So I was like, okay, it's still only connected to the internet. Or, yeah, it's not connected to, like, my cellular. It's fine. It's fine. So I, like, use it when I was connected to the internet on my phone, occasionally in bed, right? And so I creep. Yeah, it's creeping on the download. And I added cellular data to the Instagram. 
And then it came back, folks. Like, I was on Instagram on my phone all the time. And last week, I had a particularly anxious and depressed time. Like, I was not feeling... Maybe it's just because you don't follow Hilaria Baldwin. It's probably because of that. But also, like... Comparing is really hard, right? Like I was talking oh, you to were my, doing you compare like your body and like, and I was talking to my therapist about it and she's like, it's really like what they do is like show someone losing weight, show someone who looks a certain way and introduce like dieting or gym situations. Like, like it's, it's all done purposefully. And, and I noticed last week I was really down, really anxious. One, because I'm really busy right now. Well, I wasn't here. You weren't here. I've taken on so much work because when I came back from my travels, I was like, I need to make money. I've been catering, babysitting, assisting, working. Like I'm truly so overextended where the next two weeks I actually don't have a day off. And I was feeling bad about my body and my apartment. Like, it just was like everything felt like it was piling on props to therapy. I was in therapy and I was looking at my therapist and I was like, you know what? What am I waiting for? I'm going to delete the app right now. And I didn't think about it. I deleted the app from my phone and I'm starting again where it's only on my iPad and I've already limited. Like, even... Even the reflex of picking up my phone and going to Instagram is still there. Like, I have to, like... Mm-hmm. And so now I'm just, like, going to, like, news You're, like, sorts. checking the weather. Like, I'm checking the news <laughs> or, like, a crossword. It was interesting how it happened where I was like, oh, this app. Oh, I could do a little more. I could do a little more. I could do a little more. And then I felt it affect my mental health. All this is to say, I did find out about this case on social media. Uh, it was on oh. Instagram, and I was on Kim Kardashian's page, because I do keep up with the Kardashians, you know? Someone has to. Someone has to. And James Corden had post had, had mentioned this on his show, and then I thought, because this does have a pressing time, um, actionable items, I wanted to share it with our dear readers to give it some more publicity. Oh, um, cool. So that we can maybe do something with our small little audience. We can help in any way that we can. Thank you for being a dear reader. Thank you for being a dear reader. Okay, so... Oh, let me just say, I got the information from We the Jury, the podcast, James Corden, Kim Kardashian, shout out, um, <laughs> justiceforjuliusjones.com, Coco, um, Oklahoma News 4, Washington Post, and The Innocence Project. Wednesday, July 28, 1999, in Edmond, Oklahoma, Paul Howell, who's 45 years old, was returning home with his two daughters and his sister from back-to-school shopping, which, by the way, love back-to-school shopping. I love back-to-school shopping. Please, Lisa Frank everywhere, everything, everything, Lisa Frank lo- everything, I like pencils or- and backpacks you know and binders and more. You know what I just ordered? I just ordered, like, five folders because I just want to have, like, organization in folders and I don't have enough folders and I ordered them and I was thrilled. So it's around 9.30 p.m. and they're in their Chevy Suburban and they're coming home and they're approached by a man pointing a gun and demanding the keys to the Chevy Suburban. He shoots Paul Howell dead and leaves. Luckily, the two daughters and sister are able to run into the house to safety. Unfortunately, Paul Howell dies. 45 years old. He's a community figure. He's beloved by all. It's the eyewitness, which is the sister and the kids. They were able to discern that it was a black male, um, 5'6 to 5'8 height. Um, He's wearing a white shirt, 
jeans and a red bandana over his face. He's also wearing a skull cap, and they noted that about an inch or an inch and a half of hair was coming out from underneath the skull cap between his head and his ears. Mm -hmm. At the same time of the crime, Julius Jones, who is 19 at the time, is on scholarship at the local college. On July 28th at 9.30, he was at his house. He just finished dinner. He was playing Monopoly with his siblings. His older brother left for work at 9.30 and saw Julius at his home. Julius is waiting for his friend Christopher Jordan to give him a ride to his apartment near campus. And he's waiting for Christopher Jordan. He's like, God, where is this guy? And Chris is late. He comes at like 11.30 at night. And he's like, sorry, I got into it with someone. He picks up Julius Jones and he goes to his apartment. The next day, this guy, Lydell King, he texts Julius and he's looking for Chris, the friend that picked up Julius. And he's like, I can't find Chris, but I need help moving a truck. Now, Julius knows this truck is probably stolen, but he goes and helps Lydell anyway because he needs the money. Now, Lydell picks him up. Julius stays in Lydell's car. He drives. Lydell gets in the Chevy Suburban. Mm -hmm. Julius never is in that car. Mm -hmm. So they take it to a nearby chop shop, and the chop shop is like, I've heard there's a body on this car. I don't want it. So they have to drop off the car. So the two of them go. Julius is in Lydell's car. Lydell is in the Chevy Suburban that belonged to Paul Howell. They drop it off at the grocery store, and they leave. Keep in mind, Julius has never been in this car there's no DNA, there's no fingerprints, there's nothing putting him in that car. Mm-hmm. So the next day, Chris calls Julius and is like, hey, I got locked out of my grandma's house. Can I come stay with you? Mm-hmm. And Julius is like, yeah, 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 chill. Come on over. So he comes on over to Julius's family's house. Chris goes upstairs to make a phone call, fall asleep. Julius falls asleep as well. The next day, Chris is gone. Simultaneously, at that same time, the police find Paul Howell's car in the grocery store, and they're like, great, we have the car. They start an investigation into the murder of Paul Howell. The police have connections to the chop shop, which is a police informant. And so the police informant tells them, oh, this guy, Lydell, came in. And they're like, great. The police are like, great, Lydell is also one of our informants. So Lydell then tells him, you know, I got a call from Chris Jordan and Julius about this car. And Julius was actually wearing uh, a skull cap and a red bandana when he helped move the car. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. So when the police look at footage... Because Lydell's like, I did it. I've got to put it on him. Yeah, well, it seems like Chris Chris and Lydell had a communication and communication Chris and Lydell clearly were involved in this and Julius was sort of ushered in after the fact right and so they're like I Lydell doesn't want to get in trouble so he starts to putting it on Julius because Julius helped him with the car because he's already in good standing with the cops he's an he's informant, informant which he probably became to try to get dirt they had on him off him which is often the case it gets so much worse oh my god 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 here's one thing I have to say yeah please It gives me anxiety when things like this happen, partly because I'm like, you can raise a good kid with good Mm -hmm. morals, like a good moral compass. 
and still they can end up hanging around people that cause them to get into trouble they cannot possibly get out of. Yeah, and there are reports, to be clear, there are reports of Julius maybe being involved in some petty theft and things like that previously. Like, in fact, 10 days before the murder, he had been pulled over for a traffic violation and there was a mugshot of him, which I think we can just say why there was potentially a mugshot of him. There is racial profile, there is racial bias, of course, in all of this conversation. Paul Howell was a white man, and I think that immediately um, makes it worse in a lot of ways. It changes things. It makes it worse because the police become so narrow-minded. And so 10 days before the crime, there's a mugshot of Julius Jones, and he has buzzed hair. His hair is not sticking out in his totally, and mm-hmm. that, and I'll get to that. Chris Jordan ended up having some evidence that he was involved in a carjacking the week before, so he's been picked up by the police. So right now, the police have talked to the chop shop, Lydell King. Chris Jordan is now in their custody. In the interview, they're like, you know, if you cooperate and give evidence against Julius Jones, we would be lenient to you because Chris Jones fully admits now to being part of the crime. He says that he drove Julius to the Howells, but his story is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. He's like, I heard gunshots or I didn't. I saw a body drop. I didn't see it. So his story is totally inconsistent. In fact, Christopher Jordan's attorney is like, I wasn't allowed to see my client for hours because what he suspects is the police are trying to solidify Chris's story to put and pin on Julius. Chris tells the police... I know where the murder weapon is. So the police are like, amazing, take us to it. So Chris takes the police to Julius Jones' home where he spent the night, and he says this is the exact location. The police find the gun wrapped in a red bandana in a crawl space in the room that Chris slept in. Mm Mm-hmm. That bandana was never tested for DNA until much later, and I'll just spoiler spoiler alert it. It had three separate DNA on it, partial matches. It did have some of Julius Jones' DNA on it, but it was not saliva or sweat or anything. It was partial matches. And think about it. Like, if he's wearing the bandana, it probably would have his spit and sweat on it. So they find they get the exact location of the murder weapon, the police destroy the house, destroy the room. They also get a white t-shirt from Julius's room claiming that that is what he wore in the white shirt. Mm-hmm. There is not an ounce of blood on it. There is no DNA from Paul Howell mm-hmm. to put him there. It's just a white shirt that they connect to the eyewitness account. Oh, please. So they're basically like, whoever did this owned a white shirt? Mm-hmm. Chris leads the police to the exact spot. The police have Julius Jones, and they're like, great, we have him. We all know we've seen it before. It's tunnel vision. When Julius is arrested, the arresting officer calls him the N-word and dares him to run so that he can shoot him. Holy shit. Julius does not run. He stays. He gets arrested. Before the charges were even filed... The DA at the time, Cowboy Bob Macy, says in a press conference that he is seeking the death sentence. (gasps) This is in a press conference to the community. The community before a fucking trial. 
Wow. How about tainting the fucking jury? How about tainting that pool? Oh it is God. not an impartial jury. The media then starts calling for a death penalty. The defense tries to change venues because of the media. Their request is denied. They included 52 affidavits from the community saying they were affected by the press conference. Denied. The jury process was fucked up. Okay. I don't know how else to say it. It was really fucked up. In all, at the end of it, 11 jurors were white. One juror was black. There were jurors on there that lied about having felony convictions when a black juror was denied for having um, bodily possession of a vehicle under the influence, which means like you have keys and you're drunk. It doesn't mean you're driving it. Right. Versus a white juror who had a DUI who lied about this. And when the prosecution found out that he lied about that, they did not share that information with the defense team. (gasps) I'm like getting chills because it's horrifying. There's a juror who's reported as being overheard as saying, this is a waste of time. We should just take the N-word out back and shoot him. (gasps) The motion to dismiss that juror was denied. Another juror was saying, was heard saying, he should be put in a box for what he did before the trial even starts. The judge refuses to remove him because he's saying, you know, he could have been saying that about Osama bin Laden. You're being a little too sensitive to the defense team. Multiple black jurors, like I said, were dismissed for lesser factors than their white counterparts. The jury is already biased, impartial, and just fucked, (laughs) right? Like, this is not a trial. This is not a jury by his peers. Right, right, right. Then it gets to the police informants who testify. So Chris Jordan, who we can assume that he did it. Why can we assume that he did it? Because there's reports of people who he was in jail with that he told them that he did it, and he got away with it. And those prisoners who were not incentivized, were not given any sort of perks for testifying, all of their affidavits that they signed to say Chris Jordan admitted to killing Paul Howell was dismissed because they were, quote, unreliable witnesses. (laughs) Chris Jordan tells police he's involved in the he's involved in the crime. He drove him there. He admits to being a co-conspirator. The jury is told about Chris Jordan that Chris made a deal that he would get no less than 30 years in prison for his testimony. He was released after 15 years. Not paroled, released. Right. Because he made a deal. Lydell King, the police informant, was up for a 20-year sentence in check fraud. After his testimony, that charge was dismissed. It's just crazy because the fact that you say that, the math is that Lydell, this guy Lydell, seems like did it. I'm going to go ahead and say. It's Chris Jordan for me who did it. Okay, but. Or Lydell. It's Lydell one of the showed two. up yeah. with the car. Like, let's say it's them. Yeah. That, for, in both cases, it means almost that by doing this, they were benefiting themselves by killing this man. Yeah. Like, all we have to do to get less prison time is kill a guy and then Blame become informants on, on else. It's crazy that that would well, they, be Lydell an equation had, that would work in your favor. Lydell already had a relationship as a police informant. It's terrible. Well, you probably, oh, then it's like he knew. Oh, God. Criminalities. Another guy was facing drug charges. The detective in Paul Howell's case recommended a lenient sentence if he testified against Julius. He did. He, he got a lenient sentence. And in fact, another case that he was an informant on 
was recently exonerated. Like, these police informants are all incentivized. They're all, like, basically, like, hey, if you testify against this one guy who we think did it with truly very little evidence, except for Chris Jordan, except for the gun is in Julius's home, that Chris Jordan just slept in. (sighs) It gets worse. Julius's trial defense team at that time, and I think after the fact, had zero death penalty cases in their experience. They were completely unprepared. They were completely fucking awful. So much so, I don't know what I want to say first. Okay, this is what I'll say. After the prosecution brought witnesses, their fucking testimonies that obviously are not accurate, you know what the defense does? It says the defense rests. What? They didn't call a single witness. They didn't call a witness saying because they felt that his family with his alibi... That was not a that was not a reliable witness. So the jury never heard Julius's alibi, which was playing Monopoly with his siblings. Ugh. No witnesses. Julius wanted to testify. They were like, let him. no. They said no. Fuck. They didn't even show the picture of his mugshot with the short hair. Ten days prior, which was like. Basically, so they didn't do anything. They did nothing. Why didn't they help him? It's their job. Well, is that naive? The attorney assigned an affidavit saying that he had a bad day in court. The attorney admits to doing a bad job. The appeal for a new trial has all been denied. Like I'm gonna repeat it, his fingerprints, his DNA was not found on the suburban yeah, just that was stolen. being like, "You guys, I did a bad job." Like, just give him another trial. The what jurors the who were like, three jurors after the fact submitted affidavits saying that the defense did a poor job and that the lack of witnesses would have possibly made a difference. Mm-hmm. And they also claimed that jurors had came in with their mind fucking made up. They claim racial bias. The Supreme Court denies a retrial. Now, Cowboy Bob Macy, the DA at the time, who had admitted in a press conference he was seeking the death penalty, he is at the time is known as one of the top five deadliest prosecutors. He has sent 54 people to death row in his 21 years of being a DA. Half of them have since been released. Besides prosecutorial misconduct, there's also been false informant testifying and forensic science people faking testimony, false testimony. Julius, he is found guilty and is sentenced to death. His defense team has also not had access to any of the prosecutor case files, so they haven't seen it. It hasn't been made available for them. One of the prosecuting attorneys against Julius in his case is married to this guy, Judge Ray Elliott, who was the judge who decided if the evidence seized at Julius's house was inadmissible because it was unlawfully seized. He denies that claim. His wife is the prosecutor in the case. He's also Small known to be corruption vibes. He's also known to be fucking racist as fuck. I'm sure. Making disparaging comments about Mexicans. Julius is now 41 years old. He's been in jail 21 years, and he is all out of appeals. Every appeal that he's tried to make has been denied. He is up for execution. This fall. 
<gasps> like I'm, I get emotional thinking about it. It could be as early as October 28th. If you can listen to this and still be in favor of the death penalty, I don't second know. guess yourself. There's been a documentary that was produced by Viola Davis. NBA players have spoken out. Kim Kardashian, James Corden, even Paul Howell's girlfriend at the time is advocating for Julius Jones' release. Yeah. Damn straight. He submitted his petition for clemency, and the hearing is going to be September 13th, Monday. When we record this, it'll be Monday. So I hope in our next episode we'll have an update for you on Julius's case. But the Oklahoma Attorney General wants an execution date for Julius Jones. The DA also tried to get two members of the Clemency Parole Board hearing off the trial because he said they are, quote, biased. He said that these two members were biased because they work for a nonprofit called City Care, which helps recently incarcerated individuals from homelessness. And that group is connected to the Oklahomans for criminal justice reform. So the DA is saying, well, those two are biased. So they shouldn't be on this parole board hearing for clemency. As of yesterday, we record recording this. As of yesterday, the Supreme Court denied the DA's attempt to remove the two board members, which is a huge win. I'm very grateful because they're going to be hearing his clemency hearing on Monday unless that has gotten moved. Julius is one of the first prisoners who will be executed after a five-year hiatus in Oklahoma because... There, five years ago, there were a bunch of botched executions where they did not execute prisoners properly. They tortured them to death? They tortured them. They used the wrong chemicals chemicals for the lethal injection and caused torture and pain to the prisoners. Since 1973, 170 former death row inmates have been cleared of all charges and released. 170. Yeah, we're not, we don't have a good track record. Since 1973, there have been about 1,500 people executed. That's 10% of those people were cleared of charges. Huge, huge That's percentage. That's a 10% error. 10 of them, the 170 exonerated, were from fucking Oklahoma. Oklahoma is the country's most prolific death penalty state. No amount of justice at this point is going to take away what horrifying mishandling of justice this has been for him and his family. Somebody's life. What's bigger than that? Who has an alibi? Who has a fucking alibi? Please go to justiceforjuliusjones.com. There is a petition to sign. Um, Yeah, let's sign that shit. Sign it. Share it. Tell your friends. Do we really think that an eye for an eye is worth it in this case when there's so much evidence to show that this guy didn't fucking do I it? I mean, it's it's irrelevant because it's not an eye for an eye. It's, it's an eye for a roller skate. Like, this kid didn't do it, so... Even if he didn't do it, we have to admit... The trial was fucked. Like, even if, if some he reason none of this trial. information, he, did he didn't not get, get a, a fair, fair trial. trial. And so why are we putting someone to death who didn't get a fucking fair trial? Yeah. And if we can argue on social media over and over and over and over again, as we do, whether Scott Peterson got totally a fair trial, I think uh, let's talk about this guy. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And he's not. He, I mean, so anyway, justice for Julius Jones, please go um, sign the petition. 
and you know send your thoughts and to him and his family because I can't imagine what they're going through. Well, years. thanks for telling us about that. Dear readers, you know we only talk about things that interests you, right? We like scary things. We like, we like scary spooky things. things. Spooky we things. like fun. But we think you'd absolutely go bananas, cuckoo pants, wonder bra. For City of for Ghosts. For City of Ghosts. It's going to be It's lit. a mystery podcast. Okay, it has all the things you like. It has. Do you like mystery? Yes. Okay, do you like corrupt politicians? Love them. Do you like... Supernatural neo noir mysteries. I'm, I'm loving feeling it. it. I'm loving it. I don't know what you're telling me about, but I already love it. Do you like ghosts? I love ghosts. Do you love ghosts? I'm actually in love with a ghost. Have you had sex with a ghost? <laughs> Subscribe now. The link is in the bio. Um, and go look at City of Ghosts. It's an incredible podcast. We think you're going to L O V E love it. You're going to love this podcast. If you love us, you're going to love this. It's not us. It's better. (laughs) Frankly, it's better. (laughs) It's the low bar we set and they jump right over it easily. (laughs) They don't break a sweat. (laughs) Do you want better sound quality? They got it. Do you want want better storytelling? They They have that too. Do you want them not meandering and saying tangents? Guess what? It happens. It happens in their podcast. They're organized. We so have to do this. In fact, I'm going to suggest you. St- I think this is rolling mid episode. I'm going to suggest you stop listening Just to stop. us right now and you subscribe <laughs> to City of Ghosts. But then come back because we have another story that you're going to love. Yeah. Anyway, please, here's a little sneak preview of what it is. So enjoy. Go subscribe. They're amazing. And we're sponsored by them. We're so grateful. Go Love City, you, of, City Ghosts. of Ghosts. Can you hear me? It's 1999, New York City. Where am I? Oh, shut up! Bridget Lundy Payne stars in a new supernatural neo-noir audio drama. The voices, they're back. City of Ghosts. I understand this is beyond your usual scope. So two deaths and an attempted third. Must be more something big. Men like them have fortresses built around them. What good does sticking your neck out do, especially in this city? Still, just be careful. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Do be well, Eleanor. I'm going to tell you a story now. Okay. It's not going to be any cheerier necessarily. Um, this is the Gladbeck hostage drama. Oh. So I got my information from The Guardian, DW.com, Wikipedia, and New York Times. We're in, in a, I think this is in Germany. Gladbeck in Germany, right? Yeah. I had to make sure so I don't sound like I mean I'm going to sound like an idiot at some point but let's not <laughs> let's not start I'm on that foot thing. I'm going to sound lead. like an idiot no matter what I, I say know, but I don't want to lead but I don't want to start I don't want to with do, idiot if I can prevent any idiocy I'll do it I think I have a hair on my chin cord oh, fuck you welcome to my world <laughs> alright so we're in Germany it's August 16th 1988 and these two pals Dieter Degowski, who's 32, and Hans Jürgen Rosner, who's Wait, 31. Right, it's Dieter Degowski. Dieter Degowski. Love the name. Yeah. Hans Jürgen Rosner. It's got like a real but, musicality uh, to it. They're getting loaded together. They're not great guys, you know. Hans, uh, 
he was first convicted when he was 14 years old. He's already right. served 11 years in prison. And Not off to a good start. He was on parole and he beat it and he's been on the run. They're All right. In short, these guys are convicts. They're armed. They're drunk. They decide it might be a great idea to rob Deutsche Bank in Gladbeck. Yeah. Why so not? They're drinking all night. They show up at the bank at 8 a.m. the next day. It hasn't opened yet. That's fine. They go right in with their guns. They're waving their guns around and shooting up the place, and they take everybody hostage. And Hans is sort of like the mastermind vibes. He's kind of the guy that walks in real confident, calling all the shots, and Dieter's a little nervous. Mm. The cops come, so they're you know, going to do some negotiations and they're like, guys, we want a bunch of money and a car to get away in. And I don't know who the negotiator is, but they need to find a different job because (laughs) after a few hours, they're like, okay, here's hundreds of thousands of whatever they're called. Deutschmarks. I think that's what they're called. You're laughing because it is funny. uh, I think now it's the Euro, but I think they're like, here's some Deutschmarks. And then, by the way, 12 hours into this hostage situation, here's a car to get away in. So all day they're hanging out at the bank with these hostages. Hmm. Obviously, they can't just get in the car with the money and beat it. That It's you know, too on the nose. So they have to take hostages with them. Well, yeah. So they're like, we'll take a couple hostages. Let's get in the car and go. Again, what was the negotiation like that they were leaving with hostages, going to a, you know, no one wants to go to a second location. It feels like the people with the gun, though, have the power in this this circumstance. It really does feel like that. They drive straight out of Gladbeck, 140 miles to Bremen. But how many kilometers? Just kidding. Please, it would kill you. On the way, on this drive, Hans is like, you know, Dieter, I'd like to pick up my girlfriend. So they pick up Marion... Cotillard. Lublick. 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 Lublick? Lowablick. They pick up Marion. How do you spell it? Like I'm saying it. Okay. (laughs) Well, okay. Lublick. Lublick. They pick up his girlfriend, Marion, and they arrive in Bremen. And Hans and Marion are like, got all these Deutschmarks. Let's go shopping. Fun. They go shopping for like an hour. They leave Dieter in the car with the hostages, and Dieter takes a nap and puts his gun next to him on the console. Now, (laughs) the hostages are scared. In their defense, it was a (laughs) two-door. The climb over. No, I don't think it was, but here's the truth. I think I was trying to get in their head, and I'm like, look, 12 hours there at that bank, scared out of their fucking minds and traumatized. Now they're in this car with these guys. I don't know if you're making that risky of a decision. You know the cops know where you are. You know the cops know exactly what's going on. They've been watching this whole thing. Now, you might be a little confused why they're letting one guy go shopping while another guy takes a nap, and they're not fucking stepping up to the plate. But I think you are in the headspace of, that's not my responsibility, that's theirs. What would you, I think I would like to say I would, like, take the gun, because, you know, I don't know what I would do. I don't fucking know, and I don't think anyone knows what they would do unless they were in this situation. No, 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 I do. Let me think. (laughs) All right, let me ask you this. If you had a bunch of Deutschmarks that you just got from uh, uh, the cops and you're going shopping, what do you buy? Um, Oh. um, One item of clothing. That's all they bought? 
No, no, oh I'm my God, asking you me. to choose one what item of clothing. I don't know what. They I'd go to a boutique and I'd be like, "Dress me." Like I'd go to somewhere and I'd be That's like, good. "I want you to do the work." Pretty woman vibes. Yes, nothing um, would fit me, but yes. So they'd be like, "We don't carry your size." I don't know what they bought, but I can tell you the very short YouTube documentary I watched about this showed a jacket that said "Commander" on the back of it. They're big fans of Handmaid's Tale, though. Honestly. <laughs> obviously the met, the cops are following them. The cops know what kind of car they're in. So I guess they're like, we should probably change cars. And apparently they have a few failed attempts at this. And what they end up going with is a bus. So they get on a bus with 30 passengers and the cops are watching all this happen. You know, so what's annoying, I wait, think, the cop is... is fo- the cops are following them. And watching things like this happen. But for me, I'm like, you guys, you you got them down to two hostages after they left the bank. And now you're bringing it back up to 30 when you let them get on this bus without intervening. To be a dead horse, I have notes. Where are your balls at? Also, like, why can't you intercept someone at the store? You know, I mean, like, there's so many ways to be like, okay, then isolate the people from each other. Separate the two of them, right? Oh, yeah, that would have been great. (laughs) They don't intervene. The journalists instead, at this point, who've heard tell that something's going on, are the ones that are getting involved. They're taking pictures. They're trying to interview Dieter and Hans on the street while they have guns in their hands. The journalists are running up and being like, let's talk about this. So everyone in Germany is watching this shit unfold live. It's all on TV. And they're going up to hostages and being like, how do you feel? What are you thinking? I mean, it's really, it's must-see TV for sure, but it's also like... It's not sweep, sweep. Let's chill. What's going on? Why are they all up in their... How can all these journalists be up in their business and the cops are not? It's just not making sense. They're driving on this bus. They stop it at a service station outside Bremen. Marion's like, I gotta go potty. Fine, Marion, go to the bathroom. They feel pretty above the law at this point, so I think they're doing whatever they want. But then they are completely shocked when the cops take Marion when she's in the bathroom. And they put her in handcuffs. Wait a- <laughs> And Hans is like, hey, you took my girlfriend and put her in handcuffs? Not okay. This will not stand. Also, like, what's the end game here? It feels like you're just like, well, this is our little vacation. Like, what is the end game? You leave and no one finds you? But what's the end game for the cops that they're... They- okay, here's the thing. With the cops nabbing Marion at the bathroom... The cops that decided to do that did not have permission from the higher ups. That was not the terrific plan of action. They were, I think they were just sick of maybe not doing anything. So they were like, maybe they were watching TV and they were like, we're really looking like assholes. (laughs) But so there's no communication going on. They grab Marion. Bad, bad, bad idea. Pisses Hans off. I mean, everyone's just improvising. And you can take it from a professional improviser. You it's improv- rarely funny, and it rarely works. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so don't do it. Aye, aye, aye. So. Oh, no. Does he shoot one of the hostages? He's like, I'm going to shoot somebody. You have, He gives them a deadline. Yeah. He's like, you have to give my girlfriend back to me, or I'm going to kill one of the hostages. Here's what happens. 
they like break a key in her handcuff and can't open her handcuffs. And while they're dilly-dallying, trying to figure that out, she's late to the deadline and they kill someone. (gasps) They take Emmanuel DeGiorgi, who's 15-year-old kid. Oh, my God. He's on the bus. He has his eight-year-old little sister in his lap. And she said he kept whispering in her ear, don't be scared. I'll protect you. They start looking for somebody to kill, and he, like, steps in front of her to protect her, and they they kill him. They shoot him in the head. His body is dragged off of the bus by the journalists. They call an ambulance. It takes the ambulance, like, 20 or 30 minutes to get there. It's delayed. The reason it's delayed is because the police have closed the expressway. So he ends up bleeding to death. No. Now they're on the bus again. The next morning, they cross the border into the Netherlands. They let 23 hostages go at this point. The police give them a fucking BMW. And they take two young women, Silke Bischoff and her friend, Inez Voidel. They're both 18. They get off the bus and they start driving back to West Germany. They stop in Cologne at around 1030 in the morning and their car gets surrounded by journalists who are so close to the car. Like basically like I saw pictures and video of this. They get around the car in a way where they're sort of a human shield. Like even if the cops wanted to intervene and make a decision to take a shot or something, there's a pack of journalists forming like a body shield around the car. This is insane. And they're asking the men, do you guys want a drink or anything? Can we get you a cup of coffee? They're like coddling them. The police are watching this whole thing. And Hans, on live television, puts his gun in his mouth and says... To be dead is better than to be without money. They're asking, like, the women, like, oh, how do you feel having a gun to your head? It is so crazy, the direct, direct involvement of these journalists. Oh, my God. Some of the reporters are like, we will help you if you let one of the hostages go. Like, they're, what do you call it? Um, Negotiating? Yes. Yes. The journalists are negotiating. Like, it's their place what to the do so. Fuck? And, they're, like, they're trained to do so. Like, the journalists are doing way, 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 way too much. The police are not doing anything. It is this, like, freaky Friday moment that no one asked for, where everyone's doing someone else's job. Udo Robel, a journalist with the Cologne Newspaper Express, gets in the car. He says, I'll go with you, and directs, Hans and Dieter how to get out of the city. Like, it's giving them, like, the like he's, like, on MapQuest or something, you know? Well, it's in 1980. He's, like, take a left, mm-hmm. take a right. I mean, whatever. He's, he's... Wow. And he's later said, journalistically, we totally messed up. They this do end up gross. dropping him off at some point. But um, while they're driving, Dieter turns to Inez at one point, one of the hostages, one of the young women, and he whispers to her, we're really sorry we took you guys. You guys are way too young for all this. And we're definitely, 
we're gonna drop you off the in the middle of the night. The fifteen year old that they killed though wasn't too young. Apparently not. Apparently not. Okay. Um, he's like, "Don't worry, you're gonna be fine. We're gonna drop you off at some point." And they like give them beers, I think, and keep driving. They're listening to stories about themselves on the radio while they're driving. Jesus Christ! They stop to buy papers so that they can read the headlines about themselves. The cops finally are like, I think we have to do something because it's now like they just kept not doing anything. It's not going great. So they end up setting up an ambush on the Audubon. Jesus, with these two young women in the car. Yes, exactly. And at 1.40 p.m., the car gets close to this point that the ambush is set up at. And all these armored vehicles force them off the road and ram them. And they start throwing stun grenades and stuff and oh. opening fire. In the middle of all this happening, like the like With all the, the chaos, Silka, tur- she starts screaming and panicking as they approach the ambush. And she's just like, knows it's going to be bad. Obviously, she turns and starts yelling to Inez, jump out, jump, jump, jump out of the car. And Inez is like, fuck, and like pushes the door open and flies out into a ditch. In all the chaos of the next few moments, Silke gets shot. Oh my god. It, they think the bullet was from Hans's gun. It's not totally clear if he shot her on purpose or if it was... Everything I just listed is happening in seconds. Did she die? And there's so much going on. She dies. Oh my god. At this point... It has been 54 hours since they first walked into that bank. How out of control is that? They've gone across country lines. Oh, yeah. They've got, that is. Taken hostages, La hostages. I mean, it's. Holy shit. So in 1991, they're found guilty. They're sentenced to life. The girlfriend, Marion, remember, she gets like nine years. They do a legislative investigation. And it reveals, obviously, that there were several occasions before that little boy died. That they could have intervened. Yes. Including a point where the men stopped at a cafeteria and sat at a table separate from the two bank employees they had taken. Um, There was also the shopping spree where they didn't really assess the situation. Like, somebody's shopping, somebody's napping. This is a good time to step in. Probably better than their Audubon situation. In 1988, right after it happens, the Minister of Interior of Bremen resigns over the mistakes that the police made. Yeah. Um, and then there's just, like, the kind of fallout after that happens in the years to come is there's a discussion about all the journalistic involvement. Right. But that's, to me, like, I, I got to tell you, as journalists are going to go to that stuff. It's not... Well, I don't... I'll tell you what... Okay, so... The, the journalists fucked up, and they and their integrity should be called into question. But it sounds like the people who are responsible for recovering, negotiating, and um, getting involved could have done so before the journalists surrounded their car in Cologne. The judge that sentenced Hans and Dieter is talking about Udo, the guy that got in the car, remember, and mm-hmm. gave them directions. And he praises him because he says, I think you probably prevented a bloodbath. By getting into that car, which I don't 
totally maybe get. they were like maybe the police had, had revealed that they had a setup for but like that's so insane that's so insane well the media gets ripped a new one they're criticized yeah um, as they should be but... and as a result of all this the german press council is banned to have any interviews with hostages during a hostage situation it feels like that or hostage takers i should say for the right it should it feels like this shouldn't exist that ban but i guess oh god that's fucking dark the head of the journalist union says it is it was the darkest hour of german journalism since the end of world war ii and there was this one guy who i remember took a cab and followed the bus and he says i can't be the judge of my own actions i'll read what he said i can't be the judge of my own actions the press council however has made it clear that reporting truthfully is a journalistic duty. One way to do that is by direct observation, which is limited where the protection of human lives is concerned. That's where the press and the police can cooperate. Before I hired the cab, I gave the police a routine call and the police said we're not saying anything. They were not cooperative, so I had to find a substitute source of information. In rush hour traffic on the highway, we were suddenly behind a public transit bus from Bremen, a total coincidence. We guessed that the bus had to be the hostage taker's vehicle, so we followed it. At the time, I didn't know the hostage hostage takers had already shot someone. If I had, I wouldn't have hired the taxi and I wouldn't have followed the bus. You don't enter into a situation where shooting is a possibility, but there was a lack of information and the police were uncooperative. So a lot of them are like, we just didn't actually know even how bad it was it was, or what we were following. Yeah. I mean, there's like a natural curiosity. It's like, you, you know... Wow. But then you have the a you know a member of parliament saying these gangsters were able to go on television, and yes, we want the public to be informed, but the cost of that shouldn't be putting the hostages in danger. So right. it feels we were, at the same... we were trying to protect them, so we weren't telling the journalists everything. And then the journalists are saying, well, you're not telling us anything, so we're therefore making ill-informed decisions following this right. story. We're going too far because we don't know how dangerous it is or isn't. Right. It feels like there's a lot of fuck-ups uh, in general. I'll say. And it feels also like the idea that the press could get that close... The police, I mean, like, the pol- the pol- the shopping and the sleeping is so insane to me. It's like, yeah, that's fucking insane. That's insane. So the fact 30 that- years after this has all happened, mm-hmm. in 2018, Dieter is going to be released on uh, conditional parole. Mm-hmm. He was released. He t- takes on a new identity. We don't know where he lives. He avoids all publicity. Right. Hans, still in prison. Emmanuel's family say that they never recovered from the loss of their son. Um, no, his poor sister. And when his brother heard about Dieter's release, he said, he is free while we'll suffer for a lifetime. I often dream of him. He is sitting in the bus, and then the shot comes, and I wake up. So sad. Oh. And that's the Gladbeck hostage drama. But I'm also mad at the police for not understanding that there should be medical professionals following that bus and that the key broke and like there's so many things that they did they just weren't organized they were not organized and there was not like a clear chain of command 
and whoever was making the calls was not making them fast enough. Ugh. That's heartbreaking. That's really... And people died. People lost their lives. What is that tap, tap, tap? I think Matt's telling us he wants... I'm going to tell him we're done, but... Well, that would be a weird place to end. I mean, are we done? I mean, we're not, but... Do you want to say anything? Or do you want to just hang up on the Dear Readers? I would never hang up on you, Dear Readers. Do you want to Irish goodbye the Dear Readers? No, I wouldn't dare. I want to tell the Dear Readers, um, justiceforjuliusjones.com. Back to you, huh? Yeah, back to me. Back to to Julius. Let's be honest. Back to Julius. I, uh... Thank you for sharing your story. I think that is, like, a really interesting story between press and police. And I think... I'm really interested in that conversation because I, because I, because I think the two can work together and the tooth can be so, um, acrimonious. Mm-hmm. Is that the right word? I, um, wrong, wrong person to ask. Certainly. Right. I think they could be, they can be, they can work together so well and they could be so antagonistic towards one another. And I think. <sighs> you just would, um, you'd like to have seen the cops showing the level of enthusiasm that we saw from the journalists. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a cop should have pretended to be a journalist. That's what I was thinking, too. That could have been... And that would make a good story as well. That would so. make a great story. But thank you for sharing that. I also think, too, it's like it's in the late 80s. And I think, like, Lindbergh is why I brought it up is because it feels like that was such... A, it probably feels like such a, a cultural flashpoint in Germany, this case. Like, what you say, like, 30 years after... like people mm-hmm. know about it and I think there is the conversation of media and like what the media did with the Lindbergh baby and all that you know I mean there's yeah totally okay dear readers we love you so much I'll see you next week we'll see you next week well we'll never see them probably but well, no but I'm tired okay <laughs> I just got so shitty I liked it I never get shitty I deserve it yeah uh,